Join with me in prayer and we'll read the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians 6. Father, thank you. Thank you for drawing us together as brothers and sisters eternal. Father, thank you for dwelling in us, the Godhead. Father, thank you for giving us your precious word, your holy book. And Father, thank you for the called out ones, the church. At such a time as this, you have us here for your purpose, for your good pleasure. Help us now. Help us never to think more highly of ourselves. And Father, to be overjoyed with the privilege of our salvation and the joy of serving as co-workers, co-laborers to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Christ's name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1 through 10. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, At the acceptable time I will listen to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in affliction, in hardship, and in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, and in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by the glory and dishonor by evil report and good report regarded as deceivers and yet true as unknown yet well known as dying yet behold we live as punished yet not put to death as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing yet possessing all things the joy and sorrow of ministry It's the anchor of this book, actually, because this book, 2 Corinthians, is dealing with ministry. He's saying in light of 1 Corinthians, personal holiness was the topic and the emphasis that is there. He says, now move into ministry. See, I I see too many in the body of Christ today are more concerned about others than themselves. Okay? You've heard the statement, judge not lest you be judged. Right? See, you can't judge no one. That's not what it says. He says, how can you remove a speck in your brother's eye when you have a beam in your own? All right. So if you don't have a beam in your own, then you can't assist. All right. And sometimes that points out you're doing this wrong. All right. And and, and I was kind of talking about this morning in my Sunday school class. People, there are people who seem to think that I have this... um, nature or an attitude of confronting that that's all i do is just run around and nitpick at everybody who who gets in my way or doesn't agree with me all right Um, that's wrong if you think that about me um you're wrong i'm just like any human being on the planet i hate confrontation It just, it's not something I go looking for. Okay. But as I shared with you guys last week, when you look at what is the privilege working together with him, do you understand that privilege? Do we understand that at all? Because we work with him. Okay, he who came up with the plan of reconciliation, fulfilled the plan of reconciliation and then has applied it to us. And because he has applied it to us, he has given us the privilege to work in his ministry of reconciliation and literally as ambassadors of the king of kings and lord of lords. 
that should overwhelm any Christian. And I don't care where you are in your spiritual growth, you should be able at any given moment grab a hold of that and go, wow. Okay, now, I live there. Uh, I've shared with many of you, and you know that I feel in my life, my personal life, I feel like I wasted too much. Okay? Uh, I was one of them late saved. Better late saved than never. (laughs) But, uh, um, But a lot of people got, you know, I keep thinking, the heartache and everything that I went through, high school and... My 20s and all of that stuff would have been so much more fun had I known Christ. But it was obvious that on his little plan, um, that wasn't how it was going to work. All right. So there's a part of me that has this fire that says. I wasted all of this, so I'm going to make up for it. All right. Then the other part of me says, no, I strive working with the power that works within me. All right, because I realize that when it comes to doing things for Jesus Christ, uh, bless your hearts if you want to, but if you try to do it, it's wood, hay, and stubble. Okay, if he does it, it's gold, silver, and precious stone. All right? And when I, I look at it, there's times that no matter how difficult the ministry is, and trust me, You will never do anything more difficult. Guaranteed. Okay? I dug a six-foot trench in pea gravel. All right? That there is difficult. Okay? But it's... You can almost retire doing it. So... But... There is nothing harder than ministry. I guarantee it. You, You can't believe... The the discouragement, how difficult, the heartbreak, and yet you can't believe the great joy. I, I remember preaching at a little bitty house church in Russia and uh, had was teaching. They, they celebrate um, Mary. One of their great holidays is when Mary was notified that she was with child. Okay, and then that's nine months later, they celebrate Christmas. And I happened to be in Russia when they were having this great holiday. So I preached out of Revelations because I wanted everyone to know that this baby born is the book of Revelations. Okay, I mean, we always have it in, you know, oh, she's going to have a cute little baby and oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be a little manger thing. And it's going to be, and let me tell you something. When he steps out of the cloud and everything else has been black, uh, look at the baby. It's all grown up. Uh, okay, uh, so I preach this. And this lady, the uh, babuska, uh, grandma, she comes up to me crying. And I'm like, uh, another one of those, I messed it up, didn't I? And then she hands me a bag of eggs that she'd gotten out of her chicken coop. And she says, I needed to hear that. And God brought you from America to give me that. I have no money. Take these eggs. Dude, it just don't get no better than that. Now, I couldn't get them on my carry-on, but uh, we had these really cool raviolis when we got back to the church. All right? But it don't get no better than that. And you're teaching through a translator, so I'm thinking that she just likes this guy's sermon, (laughs) and they're blaming me for it. I don't know what he said. But I guarantee you that no matter how difficult, how can you say no to the privilege The privilege of being a co-worker with God. How can you not pour yourself into it? How can I not pour myself into this book? Now, please, it is so easy and so American for you to say, you're the preacher, you're supposed to. You know what I'm going to do? You're the Christian, you're supposed to. It isn't a matter of, well, what commentary? Read it. Read the book first. If you just do that. Listen, 
That is the design that is out there right now. And you know what? There's no need to redefine it. I'm in an age. I'm in a system that is redefining ministry. And it's not biblical the way they're redefining it. We are trying to make a supernatural event fit contemporary terms. And you know what? That's foolish. There's no need. You have to have his book for God to work through us and God does to those who are faithful to the tool he's given us. And until you do that, forget it. You know, and I watch people because most people want to get into ministry and they want big. I had three people call me this week that are looking for a new church home. And, and it's funny because they asked me, you know, what kind of worship do you have? And, you know, biblical <laughs> uh, and stuff like that. But they, they always have the same one. Well, what size is your church? And well, I said, it's, it's, a, it's a strong church. Well, what size is it? Well, let me ask you a question for a second. Do you want to go to a big church or a strong church? Because, see, most of the people in America believe that a big church is a strong church. And you know what? I've got a whole list of them that I can prove that that ain't working. All right? If you think the church's strength is based on its yearly budget, I need to speak with you. Because I can show you some things that you can say, that's not monetarily possible. And I was like, and it's great, ain't it? I love it when God's doing something that, how do you do that? I don't know, but it's really cool. I just want to hook on to the God puller. I just got to get in my wagon and smile. There are too many in the body of Christ right now who do not understand the privilege of being a co-laborer to God. It is our responsibility. We have been given truth. We now have to speak truth. And we watch what God does. Do you understand? When I speak about the truth, you take in scripture. You have to take it in. Do you understand that? Listen, I can stand up here and I know what I believe. I can roll it back out to you. And you know what? You can sit there and go, amen. But until you fight with it, you ain't going to believe it. You're not going to. You have to wrestle with it. My greatest single battle on a daily basis is the word of God. What are you telling me? And then get really brave. Why are you telling me? And you know what I've learned? It's only God that makes it live. He's the only one. Because of that privilege, Christians are to give maximum effort. Why? Think about it. Some of us have been in this church for a long time. All right? And we have seen them come and we have seen them go. How many have you seen Step into eternity who finish strong. How many have you seen step into eternity who did not? Kind of tragic if you think about it. Then the reason is, is because they forgot what the privilege is. You know, I'm going to bust my butt for the church and I'm 62 now and a half and I got my 401k, my motorhome and I'm out of here. No, you should even be more involved. Why? You have more time. I know people who do not have jobs. They, they lost their job for a reason or another. And they're running around pining, saying, I didn't go around my job and I ain't going to be able to do nothing and everything. I'm sitting there going, do you not understand that God has just given you a resource to pour yourself into His Word? Be consumed by it? Be overwhelmed by it? 
and utilize that time. And we don't. Oh, but you don't understand. You know what? You're right. You're right. I don't understand why people will flip through TV channels, a billion of them now we've got, and, and there's nothing on. They'll tell you there's nothing on. They keep flipping about, flipping about, flip, 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 and there's nothing on. There's nothing happened. Look at what I'm doing, and I'm thinking, you've got the Word of God, and there's something on there. Okay, but we will sit there. Well, I don't know. I've learned that if I watch the news for 30 minutes in the morning, I've seen it for the day. All right? And then I don't want sporting events. They've got that ESPN. Check the scores. All right, I'm done. We should be battling to understand truth so that we can adamantly proclaim it. Do you understand that? Now, listen, you need to understand this because it isn't a matter that lets everybody be a preacher. That is not what I'm saying. That's not what this text is saying. But it's what's saying is for you to speak forth the gospel when the opportunity shows itself. And you've got to tell yourself it happens every day. Take every opportunity. Okay? And you know what? I listen to people. Well, you know, there's a tension. There'll be too much talking about it. There's not enough talking about it. Well, let me tell you something. I have never run into anybody that I could say spends too much time talking about the Word of God. I haven't run into it yet. But I shall keep looking. I shall keep looking. Because it is through the Word of God that lives are transformed. And i got to ask you one simple question. What else is there? To watch lives transformed? If God has called you to be a co-worker, how can you give less? How can you give less? If I know truth, I know what the Word of God says then error is simple. I don't have to go look for it. It shows up. See, listen, Paul knew Scripture. Paul knew Scripture before he was saved. We preach and we protect and we preserve Scripture. Paul knew this. Paul interpreted Scripture and by interpreting it, then he would give the application of it. How does it apply? And I think about the effort it takes to teach. But let me ask you a question. How much effort? Now, this is personal. How much effort does it take you to pray without ceasing? And if you think about it, how hard is that? And yet, why is it we don't want to? You think about it now. People freak out. The pastor says, could you close us with prayer? (laughs) Out loud? No, hum it. But we freak out over it. I'm still scarred. I remember the first time. Guy asked me, do you pray? No. What if I say something stupid? If you're praying, you will. He's not basing your prayer on its intelligence. He's bracing your prayers on your heart. And if I spend the time in the Word, then my heart is set up for prayer. If I spend my time in prayer, then I will go back to have my heart renewed by His Word. It's really kind of a cool system if you think about it. Listen, the Apostle Paul knew the enemy. Okay? But he also knew their system. Please let me tell you something. The enemy to the church today is not the people with the upside-down pentagrams. Those people are an embarrassment even to Lucifer. 
That is not the enemy nor the system that the enemy uses. I hear people over and over tell me, well, it's a satanic cult. Do you know what Satan's religion is? I do. I know his system. I know my enemy. You know what it is? See it all the way back in Genesis. It's humanism. You will know as God knows. So give me a problem. I'll come up with a solution. That's what false religion is. You, given the right information, can make God happy. It's humanism. It ain't goat's head soup. I hear people say, well, that's rock and roll. It's the devil played backwards or something like that. That's silly. It's silly. We all run around thinking about that he looks like Yosemite Sam with a tail and horns. And that's not Satan. Paul knew his enemies. He knew the philosophies. He knew about Judaism, false religion. He knew about the mysticism. He knew how it operated. He knew how it deceived the flesh. He knew how it pried people and it moved people and it deceived people. He had come out of some of it. He knew what the philosophies are. I can look around right now and tell you what the philosophies are. These aren't complicated. There's nothing changed. Man, he came up, I have a new philosophy. No, you haven't. He understood the principles of ministry because he understood the word of God and he understood how it fit with the times. That's why people think that I am confrontational all the time because I know how the word of God fits with our times. And when you throw something at me that is mystic or human religion or of a system that is of Satan, I will confront it. Because what you're telling me to my face is you're discounting the truth of God. And I will not stand for that. That's why you'll hear me say things like, have you not read? Or I'll say something really brilliant. And where is that in the Bible? Because they know what I'm getting at. Paul never gave up his privilege. That was the focus of his life. He understood it. He still didn't understand. Why did God save me? Chief of sinners. And at the end of his life, guess what? He was running stride for stride. He had never slowed down. You know, and it's funny because I remember reading the guy told me, had made the statement. He says, well, I believe that Paul was bipolar. And I'm like, what? Well, there was times he was very joyful and there was times he was very sad. And I said, no, he was running a race. And as he looked around, there was the things out there that made him very sad. And there were things that made him very joyful. If I focus on my depravity, guess what? I'm going to be depressed. That's not hard to see. Paul was not bipolar. And I told him, I said, you better pray you don't see him. He'll pop you in the nose. Well, he sure acted like he didn't act like it. He acted like a man who understood the privilege that God saved him. And his salvation was so massive, he put him into ministry. This privilege gives us the highest level of accountability. All of that sets me up for a second part of verse 1. We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Okay? The word urge there is the word that you see translated beseech. Uh, it has a root of parakaleo in it. It is a God's urging. It is an I want to exhort you. Why? Because I don't want the grace of God to be in vain to you. Okay? I urge you not to receive it in vain. Down there a little farther, you see him say, behold. You know what that means, right? Startle. Whoa. Whoa. The privilege is already there. Now it's the heart of ministry. People tell me, and I, as I look at this, it's like the si- two sides of, of the same coin. Because of the privilege, I have the passion. And Paul understood it as he was preaching this and writing this and his, his heart for these people. We urge you, do not receive the grace of God in vain. 
It's an unrelenting. I'm begging you. I'm entreating you. I am urging you. I'm beseeching you. I'm doing it along with God. Back up to verse 20. We are ambassadors of Christ through God making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. God is begging mankind. Be reconciled. You know, I think about it. What I do, my ministry, I'm a beggar. I'm pleading. Same words. I'm pleading for the same commitment. I'm pleading for the same passion. I do it weekend and week out. Day in and day out. Month in and month out. Year in and year out. And it kind of drones at times. That's it. That's it. No, no. That's it. Yep. I am pleading. Receive the grace and don't receive the grace for nothing. God's co-worker, God's ambassador is a pleader, an exhorter, and there is a passion in them. Paul is pleading to the Corinthians. Do not turn away from the grace of God that was faithfully preached to you. That's what he's telling the Corinthians. Now listen, he had a passionate love for these people. Remember, this is his fourth letter to them. Don't make all of those efforts that I was there for two years, day and night, house to house. Don't make it a waste. Any preacher... Any ambassador knows and feels this because we do this week in and we do it week out. We do it day in, we do it day out. We do it month in, we do it month out. Year after year after year. We pour out through the preaching. I I, I try to explain to people and, and you just don't understand it unless you've done it. The physicalness of me giving you a message is exhausting to me. I can't explain it to you. I have done a lot of physical work in my life. But to go up here for an hour and to pour truth out is the most physically and mentally draining thing I've ever done in my entire life. And you know what? After 18 years, you would think, well, you know, it ought to be getting easier. It doesn't. Paul poured himself out in preaching. And you know what? Paul did this. If I look at Galatians, I look at several different... uh, At the end of his life, once his name went back to uh, Thessalonica, I look at dealing with the Corinthians, the letter to the Ephesians, and all of these other things. I look at all the rest of it. It dawned on me that there are times that you feel like you're doing it for nothing. This has no point to it. All right. Now, you you know, everybody can say, well, you're saying I'm telling you I've got enough miles at this and enough time with the Apostle Paul. There's times I poured myself out and think, well, there was a waste of spilling. You expose people to truth. You try to make it clear. You can tell at times that they understand it. You explain to everybody the urgency and the importance, and yet so many walk away. And you say, don't receive the grace of God in vain. At the time of this letter, Paul was feeling this. This is his fourth letter. And let's be realistic. There was a lot wrong in the Corinthian church. And he's pleading. I'm urging, I'm beseeching, I'm exhorting you. Don't turn from God's grace. He had poured his life out into them. He had poured his heart into those people. He had gave them truth. And you know what? They had an attitude that said, look, let's play with sin. Let's go over to uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. 
Verse 4. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. You know what he's just said there? Everything that comes into the door, you accept. Do you see that? Is that not the church today? It comes strolling in. It's dressed like a Christian. It walks like a Christian. It quacks like a duck. And we all sit there and go, oh, but I think his heart was right. I have heard people tell me that, you know, there's a lot of saved people in Roman Catholicism. No, there's not. It's impossible. Do you understand that? It is another gospel. It is another system. Please hear me. Well, but there no. No. You can't get saved to the Roman Catholic Church. Impossible. They don't give you the gospel. How are you going to get saved? What are you going to respond to? A lie? And yet people say, well, but look at what they do. I don't care what they do. They are leading people on a path to hell in the name of Jesus. And everybody's like, I can't believe he's talking about. Do you really want me to speak about the Mormons? Really? Jehovah's Witnesses? Do do you really want me? No. Gee, many crickets, people. This isn't that complicated. You know, somebody comes up and tells me they love Jesus. So what? I seen a bumper sticker on a car that said they love Jesus. But I could tell by the driver's habits. It had to have been the car, not the driver. I, I, I want you to understand. No, I don't like confrontation. But I will not tolerate a lie. If I tolerate a lie as a Christian, I'm saying the word of God is invaluable. What's the point of the Bible? If I'm just going to embrace it all. So many reject. And Paul was dealing with this. And Paul is telling them, don't turn from the grace that is in God. Verse 4, he says, if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you, you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. He says you're tolerating it. Well, it was a cute story. Well, great. Paul gave truth. He poured himself out. And yet he was afraid. Why are you being led astray? Are you being deceived by the same snake that got Eve? Some fall. Because of the simplicity of the gospel. It's really not that complicated if you think about it. I've heard people say, I'm going to go to take a class on how to share my faith. That is mind-numbing to me. Why do you have to go to a class to learn how to share your faith? What is that? But I watch people who do it. I'm going to go learn to be an evangelist. Walk with him. You will already be an evangelist. We, we come up with all the cliches and all of the little things. You know, I can give me a little braces, WWJD. Look at me. Okay. Uh, uh, when what's his name did his movie? Uh, Gibson. Yeah, Mel Gibson. He did his movie. Everybody's walking around with a little nail. What's that for? For Jesus. I think he already had some of those. I, I don't understand that. All of a sudden it becomes this little trivia thing. Look what I've got. I've got a nail and a bracelet. 
And what, what is that? What is that? I see people fall to a false gospel. Okay, when I speak of the word false gospel, I'm speaking of false salvation. Okay, it's, it's sort of like sinner's prayer. You know, I kept looking for that bugger. I can't find it, but I'm going to keep looking. It's got to be in there, right? Because everybody uses it. You know, you walk an aisle, you cry a little bit, you are saved. Okay? Which means I'm not. Because I didn't cry, I didn't walk an aisle, and all I knew is that Jesus Christ, I had made a mess of this thing, please save me. And that was the extent of my salvation event. Okay? But there's also falling to false sanctification. People, people don't understand that when I confront something, it's going to be based on those two reasons. It's either a false salvation or it's a false sanctification. Okay? I don't want ministry to be in vain. We have a generations of Christians in America that have heard the grace of God. It has been preached. It has been preached clearly. It has been preached directly. And there's no reason one should understand the truth of God of the gospel. And when someone comes up to me and tells me I've got to go to a class to learn. Well, what have you been listening to? And yet I look at the body of Christ over the centuries in this country. And I look at the church right now and all I see is mass confusion. Why is there confusion over spiritual gifts? 1 Corinthians 12.1 says, I don't want you to be unaware of spiritual gifts. Which means... This isn't hard to understand. Why is there so much confusion over it? I don't understand that. I, you know what? I taught through the letter to the Corinthians. I had no problem at all understanding it. And let me tell you what. I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. This isn't hard to understand. Look, it's real straightforward right there. But why is there confusion? Why is there a teaching of man's free will? Where is that? Can you tell me that in the Bible? Where's that at? I thought you're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And I'm not sure that if I use the word slave, free will falls into it. I'm either going to be mastered by my flesh or mastered by my savior. And you know what? Deeds of the flesh are easy to spot, Paul says. Why is there so much confusion? You know, I watch people who want to embrace the Roman Catholics as Christians. And all I can say is, you're telling me you don't even understand the gospel. Well, but you need to know. No, I'm not, I'm not here to pick on Catholics. I'm picking on anybody who does not understand the gospel. The gospel is really not that complicated. Salvation is what I'm speaking of. And yet, we fight in this muddy confusion. I remember flying to London, England, and a lady was sitting next to me, and I was reading my Bible, and she says, well, what, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I've got a couple of churches in London, or in England, that I'm going to preach at, and then I'm going over to Moscow and spend uh, some time there teaching too. And she says, wow. She said, i got to ask you a question. And she said, uh, I have been talking to priests and pastors all over the world. She was some kind of international businesswoman. And she says, and I can't find out what the difference between Catholics and Protestants are. I started laughing. Well, who have you been talking to? And I said, it's really simple. The Roman Catholic Church, or any form of it, believes that the church is the ultimate authority. I believe that the Bible is the ultimate authority. How hard is that? 
It wasn't like, I, well, I went and got my Ph.D. in Roman and, uh, you know, Protestantism. No, it was really simple. I didn't have no problem figuring that out. I exhort and I urge, do not receive the grace of God in vain. That is the duty of every ambassador of Jesus Christ. The other thing that they deal with that I will confront is the new path to sanctification. Okay, I have heard it come in all kinds of shapes, sizes, and bottles, and packages, and it's so pretty and cute. But apart from obedience to the Spirit of God in your life, and the Spirit of God applying Scripture to you, it ain't there. I know that sounds too simplistic. But that's the simplicity of what we have. This comes out of what I call the experientials. Those lines. Um, it's either mystical or psychological or philosophical. Okay. Uh, you are slain in the spirit. You must be truly sanctified. Or you can act like a nut in the spirit. There's a Brownsville blessing where you can bark in the spirit and you can laugh in the spirit. And that made you more holy. Okay. I see all of these things. I hear all of these things and they're all a lie. They're not biblical. And you know what? Every one of these, whether it is a false gospel or a false path of sanctification, cause the, the, the servant of God problems. And it should cause you to want to stand up and say, no, that's not in there. Because when that is happening in the body of Christ right now, that means people are turning away from the grace of God now. And there is a lack of sound doctrine. And if there's a lack of sound doctrine, then grace is in vain. I was talking to a former president of the uh, Denver Sim. And he says he's got kids coming in that are going to go to pulpits. Okay, now you understand that seminary is a master's. Okay, this is a little more than, you know, I went to Bible college on the back of a matchbook. Okay. And he says he's got kids that are sitting in there that believe that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different. The one in the Old Testament was a mean God. The one in the New Testament is a gracious God. And I looked at him and I said, do you understand that you're reaping what you sowed? And he said, what? I said, who taught these kids that? And you are the one raising up the pastors in the pulpits. And they have congregations that think that there's a different way of salvation. They literally believe that the way of salvation in the Old Testament is by keeping the law. What? And you know what's scary? They're the next generation pastors. And people wonder why. Well, why do you get so worked up about it? Why do I get so worked up about it? You're lucky I'm saved. I used to be a meanie. Right now I'm saying, no, you're following a lie. Well, couldn't you say it nicer? Okay, you're following Lucifer. What else do you want me to explain it? But there's got to be a... No, there is no better way. I watch people who are buying into the line of Catholicism of works salvation. And yet every system other than true Christianity is what? It's works salvation. Then I watch sanctification and it says, unless you're dealing in demonic warfare, you're not really sanctified. Unless you've been slain in the spirit or blown over by the spirit... You're not really sanctified. And, and I watch people and they say, well, you know, just, it's not really that big a deal. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's obedience to the Holy Spirit, to the authority of Scripture, 
that you are sanctified. All right? And you know what? There's no plan B. So anything else you're trying to do other than that, you're wasting your time and you are no longer dealing with the grace of God. This renders truth useless. And understand when you render truth useless, the substitution is only error. Listen, the Corinthian church is struggling. They're on the wrong path. They're on the wrong path. And it was a cause of concern for the Apostle Paul. Why? Were you even saved? I know you guys would never believe this, but do you know that there's some people go to church just for the social structure? I have people who come to me, uh, you, know, you know that I do some work on some motorcycles, and they, for one of the first questions when they get comfortable with me is, do you have any single women in your church? But do you understand what I'm saying? That's Why? Well, I want a good Christian woman. Well, what makes you think a good Christian woman wants you? It's not that hard. They can't do nothing. I got the back tire off their motorcycle. What are you going to do? Get mad at me? I can fix this. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? That's the stuff that you and I have to pay attention to. Because there are people who go to church who aren't saved. Jesus said it will be wheats and tares. And you, they both grow and look like they're doing something, don't they? But look, Demetrius left me and went back to Thessalonica because he had a love of the things of the world. And he's hanging out with the Apostle Paul? And the things of the world are more important? Well, Paul's ministry wasn't really going that well. He'd been stoned and he'd been arrested a bunch of times and everybody hated him. And, and other than that, it wasn't too bad. There are some in the church who really doesn't believe. Uh, if you move right back to your text, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not re- recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. There are people who have sat under the teaching who have never come to faith. And he says, you should examine yourself. You know what we do? We examine other people. I haven't seen such and such in a long time, and I heard he's going to get a divorce, so you know he ain't saved. Really? But ain't that what we do? How many of us are willing to look in the mirror and say, am I saved? Do I have a passion to pray? Do I have a passion for His Word? Do I have a passion for souls entrusted to me? And I'm not talking about it's Sunday. I'm all passionate today. I'm talking that where you walk, breathe, and talk, the passion is Jesus Christ. You see this a lot in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Now you understand Galatia, when you read the letter to the Galatians, he's not right right in the first Baptist church of Galatia. Galatia was like a, uh, best that I can describe it, a county, a big county, a number of churches in it. So he's writing it to that area. All right. And he said, I am amazed that you have deserted so fast. Chapter three, verse three of Galatians. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Okay, now he just dealt with the two topics I told you about. The first one is you're leaving the gospel. You're leaving salvation that was presented to you. The second one is you've begun in the spirit and now you're going to be sanctified by your works. Really? I watch people do it. They're the ones. Remember, I've told you the grouchy Christians, their foreheads are all wrinkled up. I'm going to get you saved if I got to hold you down and beat it into you. Okay, I've run it. You've run into them. You know which ones I'm talking about. You pray whatever they got isn't contagious. I want you to come to Jesus now. 
<laughs> you, we've all had them. They're such a blessing. I see in the Corinthian church the same thing. Same thing in the church in Galatia. You think you can sanctify yourself based on yourself. The Bible says absolutely not. You can't do it. It's like I hear people tell me, well, we need to redefine our leadership system in the church. Let me tell you something. 2,000 years out, God's already got it defined. And it doesn't need to be re. doesn't need to be re. God says no. Only the work of God. You know, listen, whether it's sanctification or salvation, it is never, ever, ever by you or me. It's always by God. When you see a person who has adoration and praise, then you understand that it's been generated by the Holy Spirit and it is pointed to Jesus Christ every single time. The Holy Spirit doesn't even bring attention to himself. He only pointing to Christ. I see people in the church today who get up and I'm going to be on the worship team so I can show everybody how great a singer I am. Wait a minute. I want adoration and praise to go to he who died for me. I heard people tell me, you have Baptists in your name on your church. That's the reason you never grow. That's a Baptist. I ain't messing with them people. I like that. All right. But people start. And then I said, well, you need. We've had prayer in here. And we'll, we'll take this row of chairs here and we we'll kind of turn it in a circle. Guy reaches under and says, you got a hymn book. He couldn't read. No. I said, yeah. He says. Well, no wonder you ain't got no numbers. That's old music. I was like, no, that's great theology. You should try it. But this is the same guy who told me, he says, you know, theology is just so boring. No one's interested in it. You have the false. What they do is they come in and corrupt the truth. And do not think that you're immune to it. If they came into the Corinthian church, who was their foundation? Jesus Christ and Paul is the one who planted that church. Really? That's not no rank amateur right there, boys and girls. Go look at the area of Galatia. Who planted those churches? Paul did. Okay? And yet they were so easily deceived. Why? Your flesh is unrelenting. Make my flesh feel better. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. This is one that should haunt you. In his context, verse 3 says, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Okay, do you understand what that is right there? It's a Judaistic version of Roman Catholicism. Got it? Look what he says. Those who do that, you have been severed from Christ and you are, what does it say? Seeking to be justified by the law, what has happened? You have what? Fallen from grace. Do you understand what he just said there? I, that is amazing to me. That's apostasy. You're done. You think about what he said. He tells Timothy, stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You are saved by grace through faith, not of yourself. And all of a sudden now you're going to keep the law, make yourself holy. You have been what? You don't have the grace no more. You don't have the grace no more. Okay, the Apostle Paul, back to our text he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He quotes Isaiah 55. All right. He says, what I just stated to you only has a biblical principle. Do you understand something about God? This is kind of strange because everybody, the theologians will all tell you that we're in the age of grace. Okay? Don't get me wrong. We are. But do you understand that there, 
He isn't always found. God isn't always found. Did you understand that God is not always near? Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4 says, You had better respond now, for this is the time. Go read it. 3 and 4, Hebrews. Okay, one of my favorites. Proverbs 1, verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates of the city, she utters her saying, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn! To my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all of my counsel. And did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. And when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. That's pretty serious if you think about it. Remember what he said in 521. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's where it stands. God will help, but it is not always so. There are people playing church, maybe even today, maybe even right here. They have the information. They understand it all. But you know what? It's all going good. I don't have to be one of them Bible thumper guys. I'll just stand right here and smile. It'll be all right. But then calamity is going to come upon you and God will mock you. It will come upon you like a whirlwind. And when it does, guess what? You got nothing to stand on. Sinking sand. He says, the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When he uses two words at the same time in the same phrase, I pay attention. And he says, now. And he uses the word behold. I like the word behold. Whoa! Behold! Shazam! Now is the time of salvation. Now! You and I should have enough passion to know that right now is the time of salvation. We're not playing games here, people. Jesus understood this. John's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 4. We must work the works of Him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus understood that. Paul understood that. He had an understanding of the privilege and he had the passion. And a passion as a minister. I look around and see a culture in rapid decline. And you and I who are truly saved this day are the only ones who have the ability to even slow it down. And we ain't doing nothing. We're all standing around with our fingers in our pockets going, well, it'll be all right. Morality. Really? Really? Why can't we say the person is lying? I mean, I can look at him and smile real big and say, you're following your father. The father of lies. And you know what? We just accept it. No, that's just what we do. That's what we do. There should be a passion for a co-worker of God to fulfill 
The ministry of reconciliation, you have to understand that there is no waste because the time is now. And Paul is trying in, in two prongs here in the first two verses is, is try to understand some are deceived. Don't be one. Don't be one. So we confront. We should confront. Is it a false salvation? Is it false sanctification? Those are the two keys. That's our lives. The ministry of reconciliation says, come be reconciled to God and I should be able to see it. You get into trouble with that? I remember when tongues was the big thing. You can start more controversy over tongues than anything. We accept it now. It's no big deal. So we goes on to the next one. Well, you don't look saved. Well, how dare you judge me? I ain't judging you. The word of God holds up to you and you look bleak. Salvation should be seen. Listen, if you would have been in Jerusalem when Paul took off to Damascus to arrest Christians and then you saw him a couple of months later, what would you have thought? Something happened. What's up with Paul? And all of a sudden, but that doesn't happen to me. Oh, you were so divinely holy to start with that when God invaded your soul, nothing really changed. Really? So we confront. I confront Roman Catholicism. I confront the charismatic. I confront psychology. I have caused more rifts in the body of Christ over psychology than I've done anything. Let me tell you something about psychology. I know who their father was. I've read him extensively. Okay? And you know what? He wrote an amazing paper on paranoia. Amazing paper. It was awesome. And you know what? He did cocaine. Well, I did cocaine, and guess what? You do the next day. You're paranoid. So write a paper. And that's what the basis of psychology is. Really? That a help? Freud, in case you're wondering. Old Sigmund. It's heartbreaking. I look at the philosophies. I look at the wisdom of men infiltrating the church. I watch the church embracing business models and advertising and all this other stuff because this is how we're going to grow. And I keep thinking, sanctification does not come by man's models. Salvation does not come by man's programs and systems. We are co-workers with him who... The waters fit in the hollow of his hand and the span of his hand is creation. He knows when the sparrow falls and the hairs of your head. And you need help from what? He only spoke existence into being. He created time. That there just... We need to get to work. We don't want the grace of the gospel to be in vain. We are in the day and the time to work is now. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise, I thank you for this. I thank you for the passion that Paul shows. And Father, I think about the spirit that is in him as the spirit that is in us. Father, overwhelm us. Overwhelm us. And may we run the race front of us with endurance to the praise and glory of you who have given us a ministry a ministry of reconciliation to so many people fire us up Lord to your glory and praise Amen well according to my watch it's not even noon yet so uh, we're doing good